Yeah. All right. So welcome to the first ever Tark Campfire Stories. Um, this is sort of the, the Tark version of not quite a story slam, but just a storytelling event. Um, we know and you know that there are so many stories on the trails in your minds, so many stories to be shared. And, uh, and we hear these oftentimes if you're, you know, if you grab a few miles with somebody on a run um, in casual conversation or at an aid station, but we knew that there were more stories just waiting to be told around the campfire. So we're really excited to um, be with you on this event tonight. And it's also really wonderful um, in this time of not being able to be together in person, it's really wonderful to gather um, this way and see all these friendly faces. And you know, as, as I'm looking at the different faces, I'm thinking of the different races at which I have seen you. Um, and it's really, really wonderful to have everybody gathered around the virtual campfire tonight to share some stories. So I'm gonna be your MC. I'm gonna um, move right into the storytelling now. And our first storyteller of the evening is Carolyn Harper. Carolyn grew up in Maryland, came up north for college and PT school, and much to her parents' dismay, never left. We consider ourselves lucky that she stayed. She lives with her boyfriend and two other humans and two cats in Somerville. And when not running, Melissa is a big fan of knitting, reading, going to bed early, and aiming to achieve full grandma status with puzzling. Please welcome Melissa. Sorry, Carolyn. Carolyn. <laughs> Carolyn. <laughs> <clears throat> Fuck. Where's my key? My breath halted as the shock of this predicament ran through my body at mile 31 of my first Don't Run Boston 50-miler. For those who have yet to hear of it, Don't Run Boston is an unmarked and relatively unaided 50K or 50 miler in the Blue Hills the day before the Boston Marathon. By unmarked, I mean to say that there are four different maps complete with six pages of corresponding written instruction that include the phrase, make a left at the seven birch trees that you can download online to use as navigation throughout the race. By relatively unaided, I mean to say that there is one aid station that you hit three times, a few drops throughout the woods, and the use of your car for aid at miles 31 and 37. There are a few starters of this race and even fewer finishers. I signed up for this adventure in late February of 2017 after being unable to convince my friends that we should repeat our experience from two years ago and return to Pylon Farms Trail Running Festival. <clears throat> This had been my first and only 50 miler. And while I was ready to have another go, my friend who had shot his pants during the race gave a definitive no and suggested that we have just a normal person vacation. Finding myself unable to shake the idea of another 50 mile challenge, I quickly Googled 50 miler near me and Don't Run Boston popped up. I thought, perfect. What better way to improve my terrible sense of direction then forcing myself to navigate in the woods for a distance that I've completed only one time, two years ago, with more elevation than I've ever run before in a race, with only two months of train. Unfortunately, I found out that I made it into the race only a month prior to the start. So my navigation runs on the following weekends were limited and quite pathetic. I quickly realized that there was absolutely no way I was gonna be able to finish this race on my own. But don't worry, I devised a sneaky plan 
by cross-referencing the list of entrants from an email with the stats page on the website, I was able to determine that a man named Chris Martin had a relatively high rate of finishing and seemed to run at a reasonable pace. My foolproof plan, follow Chris. So I nervously showed up at the race with all my gear in order. My car was loaded as an aid station for the latter half of the race. My phone was all set with the required emergency numbers. In my camelback, I had some food and water. I had some maps with the corresponding written instruction and I had my car key dangling off of its ring that was attached to the outside of my pack for easy access later in the race. As we headed over to the start line in the sand, Chris Martin announced that he was gonna run the race backwards so that he could run it all by himself. Fuck, plan was compromised. So I just started running with everyone else. I asked those around me if anyone knew the course and they all just shook their heads. One runner then pointed me to the direction of Howie, the race director. I sprinted ahead to catch him, introduced myself, thanked him for letting me in and explained to him that I had no idea where I was going. He seemed okay with me tagging along, so I spent the next 10 minutes chilling with Howie and dreaming of sticking with him for the next 40. I crashed back to reality once we hit the Skyline Trail. Due to my inability to descend rocky terrain with any speed, I found myself all alone at the Mile 16 aid station with cramping calves without my phone that I had accidentally left in the car that morning. After standing around hopelessly for a few minutes, another solo runner pulled into the aid station. I introduced myself and asked what distance he was doing. Oh, Mike, I'm doing 50 miles. Oh, me too. Can I join you? Sure. I was looking for someone to slow me down anyways. So that's what I did. We spent the next 15 miles at a relatively easy pace, navigating the route that was saved on Mike's watch and learning about each other's lives and bathroom habits. We pulled into mile 31, thirsty, exhausted, but ready for more. We checked in with the volunteers and as I started making my way to the car, I went to grab my key. Fuck, where's my key? So there I was, stuck at mile 31, without a way to go home and without any aid. My carefully crafted PB&Js and my cramp-relieving pickle juice shots in the back of my Subaru were of little use to me now as my key was somewhere lost in the woods behind me. The obvious solution is to, of course, just use mics, as most runners will pack extra supplies. Unfortunately, he came with a friend and ditched him earlier on in the race. So his aide was in his friend's car and he also didn't have a key. I looked at Mike in the eye and told him that we had two options. I could either stop at 50K and figure out a way to get home, or I could keep running with him and he better promise me they wouldn't fucking leave me in the woods alone. He offered to let me continue, so into our packs we stuffed a few brownies and cookies that a volunteer had brought for the 50K finishers and dumped bottles of water into our camelbacks. Off we went. We passed the book signing station twice and made it up to the top of Rattlesnake Mountain for some views. I did my best not to cry every time we got a little lost and tried to not focus on the upcoming cutoff time. Many hours later, we finally pulled into the finish and I was just stunned. I was in complete disbelief that I had actually finished that race despite all of the self-made obstacles. 
And I was so grateful for, to Mike for being the reason that I was able to do so. Turns out I had never locked my car because I had actually lost my other car key a week prior. My only option was to call AAA and get towed home from the Blue Hills. What a way to celebrate. Mike and I have remained friends over the years and I learned that sometimes your dumbest decisions become your best memories. That's it. <laughs> Yay! Woo! <laughs> Thank you, Carolyn. That was awesome. Thank you. Great story. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think we've gotten a, a few more people have joined the campfire. So just a reminder, folks, grab your snacks and your drinks, and we're going to move right into our next story coming to us from Nicholas, Nick Jerome, who grew up in Newburyport, went to Boston University and hated running until he moved to New York City and started teaching high school. Nick lives with his supportive and understanding wife, Tatiana, and trail running doggo, Juniper. Please help us welcome Nick. Woo! Thank you. I stepped out of the car alone. There were no volunteers directing cars for traffic, except for my wife, Tatiana, who had volunteered to shuttle between home and the start and was holding up a phone to take a picture. I stood in front of the car headlights for the photo and then took off into the hazy morning light. As the Honda Fit receded back to our house in Alston, Tatiana, ready to go back to bed, I set off around Hounds Pond. One quick loop and I was on a single track, walking and running intermittently over small rocks and roots. Snow covered my path, forcing me to slow my pace. The Blue Hills offer a variety of classic New England terrain, and the DRB course manages to find it all. Months later, I can still picture the right turn from the lake, the first left, another left before the blue container, and then a right turn that curves with the road before a small steep downhill, a muddy patch, and then a sharp right. I can see the course so clearly in my head due to multiple practice runs and the necessity of knowing the route when doing it alone. Apart from the appeal, a, a part of the appeal of the DRB, apart from the appeal of the DRB was the Tark's first race and in the Blue Hills, the DRB or DRB drew me in because of the group dynamic. The first time I saw the course route, I thought I was gonna have to follow someone. On the Facebook group page, two months before the race, those who had run before responded with, just follow me, after seeing confused first timers get lost on practice runs. I should also note, I had a, an interesting conversation with Carolyn, who uh, scared the living daylights out of me um, as well. Running with a group and adjusting to others' pace added to the adventure of the race, more like a run in the mountains than a race at all. Yet, a global pandemic forced the formal race to be held virtually. I would be alone on the course without guides. I kept going straight through multiple intersections as the, tra the trail bent suddenly left. I noticed the turnoffs I would take later in the day, but passed them by before a sharp left onto a single track. This was the start of my ascent of Buck Hill. At this point, I was able to take off my headlamp as there was more than enough light. I raced the sunrise as I climbed, taking a quick left and then right as I crossed the carriageway, past two hikers, and up the last steep climb until I broke out above tree level, the trees. 
The sun had me had beat me to it by a few minutes, and the Blue Hills range was bathed in golden light. I paused for a quick photo before descending, following white blazes, one left onto the last switchback, and then another right as I headed towards the road. With every step, the snow melted away, spring replacing winter in front of my eyes. Two quick turns later, and I was approaching Route 28. I made sure to take the path on the right after crossing and thought back to the training runs where I went left instead. Two weeks later, two weeks prior, I strained my Achilles bad enough that I needed to be picked up by Tatiana on the side of the road. Walking was hard for days after that. Forced or during my forced taper, I satisfied myself with walking up and down Summit Ave in Brookline and hoping the rest would pay off on race day. Yet, as I towed the starting line, I had only run five miles over the last two weeks. I planned on running nevertheless, but thought Saturday would be optimal with recovery time on Sunday. Yet a snow flurry of six inches brought back memories of the, the winter classic, and I decided to postpone one day, hoping for dry ground. In my mind, if I could get 10 miles to the start of the Skyline Trail, that would be accomplishment enough, and I could walk back to the car park. So many plans derailed, yet here I was, taking a left off of Hawk Hill and another left, and then a right at the bog at mile eight. I'd read about a hole in a fence and found it for the first time. Soon I was on high ground, jogging along 95 at seven in the morning. Some bushwhacking, and I was back on the trail. One left, one right, right, another right later, and I made it to the start of the Skyline Trail. There were no need for directions once on the Skyline Trail, just following the blue blazes. Suddenly, there were no lefts, no rights. Finding a trail to follow can be hard, with many twists and turns along the way. Yet it was all worth it in that moment. The Blue Hills beckoned as I finally adjusted to my new reality. I was accustomed to being alone as I climbed up and down the stone stairs and ridges. With a trail to follow, I was soon lost in the rhythms of the run and oblivious to the outside world. And I'd like to dedicate this again to my doggo, Juniper, who ran 16 training, a lot of training runs with me there. Um, and my wife, Tatiana, who is always willing to pick me up and drop me off um, at 5 a.m. or wherever my legs start, stop working. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Great story. Thank you for sharing that with us. So many great stories come out of the Blue Hills and the Fells and many other places. You're about to hear a great story from Melissa Arnold. Melissa runs on all surfaces, roads, trails, treadmill, whatever. She lives in Framingham with her husband and two dogs, Chico and Zeus. When not running or working out, she enjoys cooking vegetarian and vegan meals. Please help me welcome Melissa Arnold. So, uh, a few years ago, when I was still pretty new to trail running and ultras and the whole scene, right, um, I noticed that I would see at races, like, a few women that would wear skirts every so often while running, um, and this was, like, something that was totally new and kind of weird to me, because I'd never really seen it before, and um, you may or may not know, but I'm, like, not a girly girl, so skirts are just kind of strange to me. Um, but so anyway, so I, I did a race once with a friend and she's like a skirt girl. She has all sorts of skirts and like wears, you know, 
because she has all these like different colors and patterns for skirts. Um, she looks super cute in them, but I was always like, all right, she's a girly girl. It's not for me, but you know, good for her. She looks super cute. Um, but anyway, so we're doing this race and it's one of those timed races where, you know, you run these loops and they're fairly short loops. Um, so, you know, we're doing this loop together. I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm using a handheld water bottle. She's not carrying anything for water. Um, even though it's like in July, it's super hot. Um, but whatever. So we start this loop together. Um, all of a sudden mid loop, she like whips out this water bottle out of, I don't know where. Um, and I'm like, dude, where did you get this water bottle? Um, so she lifts up her skirt and there are shorts underneath. It is not that kind of a story. Um, but so she has, um, she shows me that there are these shorts attached to the skirt and there's this, like massive pockets, um, on each leg of the skirt. Right. And it's also like a pocket at the, uh, along the waistline. And I'm like, what? This is nuts. Uh, if you know anything about women's clothing, we don't get pockets, right? Like we sometimes have these like tiny little pockets, like in the front of our jeans, you can put like chapstick and like maybe a couple nickels, but you can't put anything of substance in there. Um, or my personal favorite are the pockets that aren't actually real, that just are like sewn in and just like are fake. Like it's so stupid. So when there are clothes with actual pockets, I get very excited. Um, so uh, I'm like, dude, pockets, this is amazing. I love this. So it's kind of like it clicked in my brain that, okay, I guess this is why girls wear skirts sometimes. Um, so I kind of thought, you know what? I'm gonna try this, you know? Don't knock until you try it. So I end up getting my own skirt. I, you know, wear it for a couple training runs. Um, I show up at this race with my same friend. Um, so I wouldn't be the only one wearing a skirt. Um, so, you know, I'm wearing a skirt for the first time. I feel like a fucking idiot, uh, cause I do not wear skirts normally. I'm super uncomfortable. Um, but I, you know, after like six hours of wearing a skirt, you get pretty used to it. Um, I will say though, I did enjoy being able to just shove like stuff in the pockets cause they can hold a whole lot of stuff. Um, pop tarts fit really well. So do bags of like Fig Newtons. I fit a Houdini jacket in there for, you know, several races, headlamps, gloves, whatever. Like you can be a pack rat with those pockets. So I started wearing skirts, um, you know, even though they made me really uncomfortable at first. So I, you know, would wear more and more skirts. I got more comfortable wearing them. Um, and, you know, I, I started to get more skirts. Like I got different colors, I got different patterns. I got really into like, being super dorky and like matching my skirt to the race. So for example, at Ghost Train, I'm rocking a Halloween skirt that has like ghosts and pumpkins and like black cats on it. Um, at Havelina, I wore my Sugar Skulls skirt. So, you know, super dorky, but I was super into it. And you're like, okay, dude, how did you go from feeling like mega awkward to like rocking a skirt at every race? Here is why. So every time that I wear a skirt, um, a lot of times, um, I would get like a compliment or some other woman trail runner out there would say something. Right. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Cause like, then we start a conversation and kind of make this instant connection. Um, and I think it's really awesome when female trail runners can kind of come together, um, and you know, get to know each other out on the trail. It's awesome. Um, so, you know, I think as us female trail runners, I'm looking at all of you out there. Um, we know that this is historically a male dominated sport, right? So this is a situation where I think we can band together. Um, and wearing a skirt is kind of like, 
I'm a woman, but I'm still out here running lots of miles. I'm, you know, running through the mud. I'm blowing snot rockets. I'm running a hundred miles. I'm doing it right. And I'm, I'm loving that more and more women are out running trails. Um, and that's kind of what I'm doing. So every time I put on my skirt, when I race, it's like, we are here, the women trail runners, we're doing this. We're doing the hard shit. Right. So I started to wear skirts for the pockets, but I continue to wear them for the sisterhood and for the girl power. Thank you, ladies. And also thank you, gentlemen, for supporting it. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Awesome story. Thank you. And, and I don't think it's really a camp, <clears throat> camp, a campfire story session isn't complete if you don't hear the term snot rocket at least once. Maybe we'll hear it <laughs> yes. again tonight, but thank you. Um, thanks for sharing that. We have one more storyteller and then a little, a little bonus, a little surprise, but our final um, storyteller of the evening is Chris Contlinger. Um, Chris, grew up in, <laughs> Chris grew up in Connecticut, went to college in Vermont, and now lives right down the street in Rentham, where he owns an organic vegetable farm. And we just learned this evening that he lives on a lake and is inviting us all over for an early morning trail run a swim in the lake, and some cold brew iced coffee. Please join me in welcoming Chris. Hi, folks. Uh, God, I have a funny story about wearing a skirt. Should I? It's like really quick, and I'll, I'm going to do it real quick because you reminded me. So I was in uh, fifth grade, and where I went to school, it was just like a, you know, whatever, fifth grade school. And, um, and we, me and my friends started going to school in the winter with shorts on. And the teacher said it was too cold for us to wear shorts and we would get pretty angry. So we just kept wearing shorts, getting in trouble. And then finally we decided to wear skirts. We band together, like five of us all wore skirts because the girls were allowed to wear skirts to school and we couldn't wear shorts for some reason. And so we all decided to wear skirts and um, we got in like the newspaper. That was our protest. And then we were able to change the rule that we could wear shorts to school like in whatever, end of March. <laughs> so that's my skirt story. Uh, but that's not the story I wanted to tell. So full disclosure, I am coming to this as ill-prepared as I come to most of my runs. So uh, I'm gonna go off, the, go off the cuff and hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, I'm gonna share my first uh, trail running race. Uh, J Peak. Um, 11 miler. I don't know if anyone knows the JP trail festival. It's 11, 22 or 33. And it's a, uh, you could choose, um, with however many loops you would like. And, uh, I was just getting into trail running at the time. So me and four friends that all live in this area kind of all got also excited about running in our woods and, uh, trail running, started reading about Scott Jurek. Uh, ultra marathon or stuff like that. And we deemed ourselves the trail snails because none of us are fast. And, uh, but we just like to go on crazy adventures. And um, so one of the things we decided to do was uh, let's sign up for a race. And, um, and so my friend has a house in Jay peak. I actually got into trail running because I really like skiing and I needed something to do in the summer. And I remember when I was, uh, I remember a vivid experience of mine. I played soccer my whole life growing up, but I tried to do cross country, but they wouldn't let me do both. 
So I would practice with the cross country team and I would deem it not cross country. I would deem it freestyle running. And I would be running up and down the trails off of like what I would pretend to be jumps when I would ski. And so I actually still do that when I run. I imagine skiing when I run down hills. So um, I figured perfect place to go would be the Jay Peak um, uh, Trail Running Festival. Um, and at that point, I was probably only running, you know, six to seven miles being like those were my days. And I was running a lot of F. Gilbert Hills in Foxborough. Uh, with this gentleman named Jeff and he was kind of like okay man you got to like train a little more and I'm like well I can do 11 miles it seems easy I mean that number 11 I would get to that I think I got to like 10 or 11 at F Gilbert and uh and so <laughs> so the the weekend of the race I think the race is on a Sunday because it's Labor Day weekend and uh my friend Adam comes by he's got a Chevy conversion van from early 2000 so we're all sitting in the back seat there's a cooler of beer. Uh, this guy, Matt, who's is probably the, um, he would be our like, um, uh, like elder statesman of trail running. He lived in Washington, done a bunch of races. And he was like, yeah, you just drink beer before the race. You'll be fine. And I was like, okay, I guess this is our adventure. So we drive like four plus hours up to Jay Peak, uh, drinking Bud Lights, which is what I don't normally drink, but he, ensured me that it's better to drink Bud Light the day before the race than, um, than the day, you know, than whatever I, you know, artisanal craft beer I enjoy. So we're having a good time. I think we put on Dumb and Dumber. And in the back seat, I'm like, this trail running thing is awesome. I love this. <laughs> I haven't really taken a step yet. And uh, so we get to, we get to JP. We all, you know, have, you know, whatever we do the night before. And then we wake up early and we go to sign up. And I remember this interesting feeling, and this happens a lot of races for me still because I'm, you know, I say this in like a very humbling sometimes. I sign up for races and there's usually more than whatever mile I signed up for, which could be a high distance mile. There's always another like higher distance. Like I did a 50 mile race. I only did the 50. I'm not doing the 100. So this was like one of these things you kind of walk in and you kind of say, um, oh, what do you sign up for? And I, I say this like oh, I'm only doing the 11 mile race and the volunteers who are doing the, um, you know, enlisting everyone was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. 11 miles. I couldn't do that. And it's like, a, I don't know if anyone of you guys has this kind of mind thing that goes on, but I always sometimes feel like I'm never good enough or I don't know. So, and that was really nice to hear. And this was my introduction to trail running community is these volunteers who are there to sign people for races and are just about as humble as most of the people that are running there too, which I just absolutely enjoy. I also remember the other selling point to this race was free beer and pizza. So those were all already on my docket for like, great, this can't be that bad. Um, and again, I'm thinking trail running. So we all line up. It's, it's going to be shitty weather, but the way um, with, we kind of looked at the radar and, according to what we thought we'd finish, we would be semi dry. So I didn't have to worry too much about layers. And, um, and so we begin, it starts. And again, like I'm used to going to, uh, I used to run races like Manchester road race. You know, you have thousands of people running. This thing had maybe not even a hundred people running this whole race. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, here we go. And we start. And it's a very like 
so you start to run and then within a half mile you reach the Appalachian Trail or the Long Trail one of the two and we're literally just speed we're up like a steep incline of now we're going straight up the mountain and my trail race or run has now become a trail hike and my introduction to trail race again has like been like wow this is a very humbling sport and i think it's about a mile it seemed like a mile and a half two miles and you're in this uh uh single track just kind of going in and out of these trees you're hiking you're kind of grabbing onto stuff and you're definitely more on an adventure uh that i've ever been on and you're no one's really talking at that point and i'm pretty much and this happens to me at almost all my races at about mile two or three, I kind of question any reason why I'm doing this. And, um, and thankfully, there's an aid station that comes about, usually at those question times in my mind. And, um, and so we get to the top of J Peak, and it was unreal. Like, you, we just slogged up this, up this mountain and uh, got a glimpse of a view that pretty much fogged out right after that. There was an aid station with something sweet something sugary something salty i gobbled it all down in kind of like a blur of like where am i going and then the lady just points down and at this point i get to vision the snow the skiing and i just start running down and uh the way the course worked it was a really nice course it's uh you double back you only really double back down the appalachian trail to another aid station and at this point i'm realizing that these aid stations are extremely important to me like surviving this 11 mile <laughs> run uh, because every time i get to them the people are in good spirits there's sugar there uh some sort of caffeine and um some sort of fat and i'm like great i could just do this and uh and i love to eat as much as i love to run as you're finding out that's kind of why i need to run longer distances um so i end up running the thing my buddy Matt kind of told me a little pointer. He said, listen, if you can run fast at any point, run fast. So that's kind of what I did. At some points, I tried to run fast. Um, I don't even know what my time was or what I placed, but I remember finishing, and the finish line was just a two pieces of sticks in the ground and, like, a like handmade sign, uh, and it was just finished. And there was no spectators, <laughs> and – and then it started to downpour. And I was like, we came in, we had our pizza and beer, and the camaraderie afterwards was just unreal. Like, everyone was so psyched. And we just did this kind of, what I found at the time and still do, kind of a crazy adventure. Um, but I, so I guess the other aspect of it was there was a gentleman named Corey. He runs a lot up in Vermont, and uh, he's a tattoo artist. We, the way Jay Peak is set up is there's a bar that you can see the finish line. So we're at the bar having a beer and, um, and the 33 mile race is still going on. It's downpouring. It's cold. And I'm like, is people even still running? And this guy, Corey, who finishes the 33 mile race with like an insane splits comes through. I don't even think the MC was around. He finished at number one. He kind of looked around and you're kind of like, wow, this to me, that person right there looked like, you know, some sort of famous runner at that point in my mind. And, uh, and he just kind of stumbled around. No one was there to congratulate him. And I talked to him afterwards, and he was like the happiest 
person I've ever met at a race. And so I guess to kind of end the story is these really simplistic, humbling ventures that we put ourselves through. They don't really, they can just create joy and happiness for like, it's just the running and the trail and the simplicity of it, the volunteers, everything that goes into these races that I love. And I've done some TARC races and I feel that same energy. And, um, and that's kind of why I enjoy trail running and trail races and all that stuff. So uh, that was my first experience at a trail race and I've done more since then. And I look forward to doing a lot more. So hopefully that wasn't too boring. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, and I think over the past like month or two, as everybody has um, seen our calendars get cleared of virtually everything that we were planning for, Chris, your story is this great reminder as you're talking about the camaraderie and the adventure. Um, and Nick, when you talked about your solo run, um, it's a great time to be enjoying these solo runs. And it's a great reminder that we will, we will get back to these races together. We will get back to these um, TARC races together ultra marathons, ultra runs um, together. So we'll look forward to that day. And in the meantime, it's wonderful to share these stories together. We do have, um, we have kind of a bonus story here. I'm gonna introduce Will, who is going to share a story, I believe on somebody's behalf. And Will, um, when not running, can typically be found practicing some other form of nature worship, such as gardening hiking, fishing, and loving on his two cat sons. Please join me in welcoming Will. Yay. Hey everyone. Um, Alyssa, if it's okay, I actually, so full disclosure, y'all, um, I had prepared a story for this, of my own, but then realized I can't share it because I'm a public school teacher and like, mm, got to be careful with that. But um, I was hoping that I could share something quickly because I've just been a little bit inspired by this whole go around. Yeah. Is that all right? Awesome. Yeah, so um, I think Josh might be sharing. This is about Rob as well. So this is going to be a story of my introduction to trail running, which was like super haphazard and not something I really ever expected to happen. So it kind of starts with my friend, Rob Rives. Some of you may have met Rob Rives before. He goes by Butterbuck. He lives in the Vermont mountains. He's this dude who I met at my 26th, well, I knew him before, but at my 26th birthday party, we had a kegger. And then he woke up the next day and ran home from Bethlehem, New Hampshire, all the way over the White Mountains, over the presidential range, back to North Conway. That's just how Rob rolled. So you we went climbing together. I was a climber. I was never a hiker, well, pff, never a runner. Um, I considered myself a little bit of a hiker, but it was always to get to the climb, to go have, you know, these vertical adventures and enjoy, you know, the great outdoors. But Rob had this big, I had this big halo over Rob. Rob was like this celebrity in my mind because he was able to do these unfathomable distances. People running over 30 miles, like I didn't realize that was a thing. Anyways, so we got to go climbing together at Percy Peaks. Some of you all may have been way up north in um, Coas County, like 
past the presidentials, past Franconia, Notch, keep driving. If you've done the Kilkenny Ridge race, they're way up there. But there's two beautifully domed peaks, the Percy Peaks, and one of them has about a 600-foot rock climb on it. Um, and it takes you right to the summit of it. So me and Rob, it was our first time hiking together. And we're going to go climb the Percy Peaks. It'll be sweet. You get a top out on a summit, we'll get the view, good day, we'll go home, we'll have some beer, call it good. So we start hiking and I'm like a little scared, right? This is Rob Rives. He's like a serious fellow. He can like, I don't know, he's run 100 mile races or something like that. Like that's a thing I guess people have done in their time before, no clue. So we're hiking, we're hiking, we get lost. He's like, you know, I'm letting him go ahead. I'm like, oh, sh this is not good for me. Like, I'm just going to hang back here. And, you know, he's, we're both outdoor leaders. We both work for the AMC. He'll notice. He'll, he'll realize I'm lagging behind. He'll close that gap for me. And so we're just, you know, sauntering along, sauntering along. And eventually we can't find the rock climb, right? Naturally, you have to do a bit of a bushwhack to get to it. And I'm like, lead the charge, Rob go for it. You got it. You're the best. You'll save me. And, <laughs> and so homeboy starts just beelining it into the woods, just gunning it, thrashing. I can't find it. We're in the wrong place. I don't know where it is. And you know, me still paying very certain to not, you know, mess with my hopeful, like, mentor in this whole process i'm like maybe we should just go over this way and boom found the rock climb we start climbing we rope up we get ready both rob and i had worked as rock got as rock guides rock guides and we you know got together pretty quickly you know we had all the stuff on our harness we had the rope flaked out and i was fully expecting rob oh gosh i'm looking at the time um, <laughs> i was fully expecting rob to be like this rope gun but you know I kind of wanted to get going first just because like I felt like I owed him something I felt like I needed to give something to this partnership to this person who I held so high above and so I start climbing first and we go right up and it's this exfoliating slab like everything you grab is kind of falling off you know, you know that any of the protection, this, you know, equipment we put in the rock to protect us from falling, it wouldn't have held at all. It was just there for good measure. So it was an easy climb. I kind of just go to the top, set a belay and start bringing Rob up. He comes up to me and then it's his turn. We flip it over and I'm not kidding you. Rob literally took like, and he'll hate me for saying this, like 35 minutes for the next pitch just the he was the most cautious person i had ever seen in my life and i'm like oh will maybe you gotta reevaluate this who is this guy <laughs> and we keep climbing we keep climbing we make it through rob takes his time he's being safe he's being prudent it's a very good thing to do right none of us want to fall to our deaths i just had a little bit more of a death wish it's all good um we move on we move on we keep going it takes us about two and a half hours to get to the top and when we get to the top we're standing on the summit of the percy peaks a place you all really should go and we're looking out at all of cohas county and my friend Rob, being the badass runner he is, has always dreamed of running this thing called the Cohas Trail. It's 
174 miles long. And he was just like, you know, Will, we're drinking a beer. You know, Will, there's this trail up here that nobody's run before. Nobody is actually like really gone for it. I think like the fastest time was like 10 days. And he's like, I really want to get the fastest known time. I think that's something I could do. And my mind was just this is prefacing the fact that the next summer in like 76 hours or something like that lower maybe 63 it was it was very 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 fast i don't know if it's been like beaten before then but he was just like casting out this huge thing talking about how this could be possible and i'm like oh shit taking back those feelings i felt on the rock climb this dude is capable of things that i really can't even understand. We start moving down. We start, you know, we're going downhill. So I figure, you know, maybe, maybe I'll turn it up a little bit. I start, you know, moving my feet, shuffling my feet here and there. And Rob just looks at me and he goes, Will, you got some moves, dude. Have you ever thought about running? And I was like, no, never have ever in my life. We finish our run, we get to the bottom, we drink beer together. And ever since that day, he just unlocked the possible for me. And since that moment, I started running. I started with my 48 and then it grew into joining this, all, this like amazing ultra community. And it's something that I cherish so deeply in my heart. And it would have never, ever happened if it wasn't for this man who, to be honest, when I saw us climbing together, I was like, hmm, this boy's safe. <laughs> and that's my story of how I got into running. Thank you, Will. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, and this is kind of a two-part story because I'm going to introduce our final storyteller of the evening, somebody you all know very well, um, who's going to kind of pick up a little bit where Will left off. Um, please join me in welcoming Josh Katzman, who I think you all know. Um, Boston public school teacher lives in Arlington with his wife and two kids and a dog named Tico. Please join me in welcoming Josh. Uh, thank you, Alyssa. And thanks everyone for, for being here for this very new thing for us. Um, so Will's story about Rob is, is very uh, appropriate because Rob was unable to to join us tonight, but he sent a story for and asked us to share it. Um, and I think as like a, a way to round everything up, especially in this time, but, it, but even broadly, um, it, it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece and sentiment. So it's called running isn't everything. Um, and I'll begin. Every morning in Africa, an antelope wakes up. It knows it must outrun the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest antelope, or it will starve. It doesn't matter whether you're a lion or an antelope. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running. Bernd Heinrich, Why We Run, A Natural History. The old man takes the bottle of bourbon I've offered. Grasping it by the neck with a soaked, cold hand, he takes a quick slug from the bottle's mouth and sets it down on the wooden table beside him. He shivers delightedly, whether from the bourbon or the cold, I don't know. The old man is wet, head to toe. 
We all are. Six of us forming a ring around a raging wood stove inside Raven Hill Camp, his small hand-built cabin. We are warmed by stove and bourbon and our own struggle against the freezing rain from which we are briefly escaping. The old man looks around our circle, his eyes and grin alight with a youthful joy I can only indirectly comprehend. He may be nearly 80 years old, but I am convinced he is the youngest of us all. Magnetized by his unflagging energy, we file out the door in his wake to finish the task at hand. As I begin to count my running career in decades instead of years, I'm convinced more and more that running is not an objective, but a symptom. It is one way in which the human psyche evolved to do so over millennia interacts with an environment in which it must work to survive. The stressors to survival are constantly in flux, so the responses fluctuate as well. We no longer have to hunt down our food by foot, yet we continue to run. Why? Because to run is to outlast, to thrive despite all challenges. Running isn't everything, or rather the act itself is not everything. The essence of running weaves its way through every facet of life, promoting the skills we are all familiar with during a long effort, adaptation, flexibility, grit, simplicity. To run is to tap into these mental survival mechanisms. Once learned, the running itself becomes a footnote. In 1983, at the age of 43, Bernd Heinrich ran 156 miles, 1,000, 388 yards at a 24-hour track race in Maine. The next year, he would set an absolute American record in the 100-mile distance that would stand for 20 years. I can tell you the exact distance of his 24-hour best because I'm looking at his award from the event, framed and sitting on a bookshelf in the upper floor of Raven Hill Camp. On the rare and special occasions where I get to visit Burned, I am consistently struck by how little we discuss running. This man, who was the fastest ultra runner in the US during the early 80s, spends most of his time researching the natural world and has done so for his entire adult life. And that's why I'm here, taking a break from the late autumn pouring rain. Burned sprawling property beneath Maine's Mount Blue is home to a population of rare American chestnut a tree species once nearly driven to extinction by disease. From two transplanted adult trees, many seedlings have sprung up, and a small team of naturalist friends have been assembled to measure their spread and health for the first time. Over email in the weeks prior, Burned has estimated about 200 saplings exist, and our task is to geolocate each sapling and measure its height and age. Very quickly, the team finds the actual number of young individuals on the ground will greatly exceed 200. So we buckle in for a long weekend of data collection. On the second day, Maine's notorious October weather turns foul, but the seedlings are endless and freezing rain begins to soak us to the bone. Our entire team is comprised of ultra runners or family who must live and deal with ultra runners. So it comes as no surprise when we all wordlessly forge ahead as the weather worsens and our seedling count soars past 800. As always when I visit, I've brought a bottle of Ezra Brooks to enjoy and leave with our host. 
we unanimously decide that a warm up by the fire and a tug from the bottle will see us through to the end. Maybe it's the bourbon or the hypothermia, but as we're standing huddled around the stove, I can't help but drift off into metaphorical comparisons. We are runners steeped in the strategies of survival, studying a plant species that is fighting for survival as well. Are we trying to learn more about this tree so we can aid in its recovery or seeking further inspiration for ourselves? Either way, I can't help but wonder if the answer lies in this old man who moves, speaks, and smiles like he is ageless and immortal. So thank you, Rob, uh, for sharing that. Too bad he couldn't be here with us. That was a great story. Thank you, Josh, for sharing Rob's story with us. Um, and thank you, everybody, for joining us for around the campfire, uh, for tuning in from wherever you are tonight, um, for tuning in and, and gathering around to share a little time together. We're all looking forward to getting back out on the trails together um, when, that, when it's safe to do so. But until that time, until we can gather together in person, um, Everybody in Tark wishes you safe and happy and joyful runs. Keep posting the scene solo um, pictures on Facebook and um, think about your own story. Think about what stories you might want to share at our next campfire. Um, so many great stories tonight and we know that there are so many more stories um, just, just uh, waiting to be told. So.